0: Is real. There's power in your name, we find hope. We trust in your ways, we need real. Jesus is real.
1: My friend, sin is your enemy. Because when you walk in sin, you do not walk in the light, you do not walk in the presence of God, and you do not get to experience the life that God has for you. See, the reason God's word focuses on sin is because sin is our way of not only hurting others, but hurting ourselves. And God loves us too much to want us to continue to hurt ourselves.
0: Sinning is fun. It brings pleasure. If it didn't, people wouldn't do it. But what the Bible says, and we eventually discover, is that sinning's only fun for a while. After some time, it begins to become unfulfilling, and we look for something else to fill that emptiness. The good news, as Pastor Daniel will be sharing today, is that there's a way to fill that vacuum through a relationship with Jesus. It's possible to find peace and joy now, here's Pastor Daniel in the book of 1 John, chapter 1, as he continues his message The Blessings of Belief. Jesus
1: a few weeks later, he found his way back to Central Park and he saw the woman. He walked right up to her and said, Can you please tell me about this God who loves you, who sent his son to die on a cross for your sins? And that story was recounted by the man who gave his life to Jesus in Central Park with a young woman who was not educated like he was, not learned in all the ways that he was, but who simply knew the reality of the death and resurrection of Jesus. And it's amazing how, in all of our learning, we like learning, we like information all of the intellectual arguments fall down at a crucified savior and an empty tomb the resurrection changes everything for each one of us living on this side of the death and resurrection of jesus there is opportunities for us there is benefits and blessings To believing in Jesus. And so today we're going to look at what are some of those blessings that come from believing in Jesus. Now, we've been looking at a book that's called 1 John, written by one of the apostles, the Apostle John. And we saw that the reason Jesus was heralded as the Messiah, triumphantly entered in Jerusalem, was because God is light, and God is love, and God is life. And so today, we're going to look at what does it mean now that the tomb is empty. So if you brought your Bible with you today, open your Bibles to 1 John chapter 1. We're going to start in verse 4. And what's beautiful is in 1 John, just as we saw that God is love and God is light and God is life, three places in 1 John, the apostle says, These things I have written to you for this reason. And we're just going to look at each one of those because not only is it relevant for the people who are receiving this letter, but it's also very relevant for all of our lives. So beginning in 1 John chapter 1, verse 4, the apostle John writes, and these things we write to you that your joy may be full. So to apply it, you and I, because of the resurrection of Jesus, we get to enter into unique joy. I've written these things to you that your joy may be full. Now, here's the deal. Every single one of us wants to be happy and joyful in life. And I'm going to tell you, that's a good thing. Every once in a while, I hear a pastor online or something, and they're like all very serious, like that guy in Central Park. And they're like, listen, nowhere in the Bible does God say you should seek to live a happy life. And I'm like, bro, he doesn't need to say it because the alternative is not even logical. I want to live an unhappy life? Like like you think about all of the advances in medicine that we have today. Does anybody want to live longer so you could be miserable for longer? It's it's like the Like, everybody wants to be happy. Everybody wants to be joyful. That is a default human condition. For most of us, what stresses us out or what bothers us are when we think that things aren't going to be fun, when they're not going to be joyful, when something happens that we don't want, which is going to be something that makes us feel like, man, why is it like this? So all of us want to be happy and joyful. And that's a good thing. The only problem is is the way our society functions, the way we think about happiness and joy, we always, almost always think about it as something external that we want to happen. Like, let me give you an example. Those of you who are in school right now, I've almost never met a student, except for the rare few super geeks among us, holla, that when it's spring break time, you're like, I wish school went 12 months out of the year. Any student want to own that? All the teachers are like, no, Fusco, no, right? It's like, no, I want school to go on forever. You're in school, you're like, I just can't wait to get out of school. People are like, no, no, Fusco, you don't realize when I get out of school, then I'm going to go get myself a job, I'll have my own money, then I'll be happy. But all you do is you ask your parents. Your parents have jobs, they're like, I just want to retire, like, can you get me out of the J-O-B please? But then your parents are like, I just want to retire. And then if you talk to folks who are retired, they're like, man, like I kinda you know number of times I've heard someone retired, like, I kinda of wish I had a job again. It's like, what is wrong with you? Everyone with the job is like, what's wrong with you? Why? Because when we think about life, joy and happiness is always the next thing we're looking for. The thing that we want that we don't have. Same thing, oftentimes people who are single, they're like, man, I'll be happy once I get married. And then all the married couples spit their coffee out. <laughs> <laughs> Listen, marriage is beautiful, but it's not hard. And people who are married like, man, I can't wait for my spouse to go home to be with Jesus. I'll see them in the resurrection. Did I just say that out loud? No, I'm just kidding. You see, my point is that we have this tendency to think that happiness and joy is something that is in the future. Now, what's amazing is, is John said, I've written these things to you that your joy may be full. See, because what the Bible teaches us about joy and happiness is that joy and happiness is not an outside thing, a change in circumstances, not based on happening. Actually, joy and happiness is an inside thing. It's something that God does in our hearts and in our lives that happens irrespective of the circumstances. Jesus himself says it this way. John chapter 15, verse 11. He said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may remain in you and that your joy may be full. See, what the Bible teaches is that the joy and the happiness that you and I are looking for are not found in the next step in the life plan that you have, you optimizing your life all the way to where you want it. Your joy is actually found in the person and work of Jesus. And really, he wants to share his joy with us. And when we experience God's joy then we have joy. And this is what the resurrection is all about. The resurrection is all about you and I having joy, not because everything works out the way that we want it to. I mean, it would be wonderful if it did until we realize on all the things we'd be missing out on. See, real joy happens when you believe in a God who can move from a crucified Savior to an empty tomb, when you realize that God can redeem the worst possible things, that you believe in the God of the all possible, that the crash and burn of yesterday does not have to be what the future holds, because you believe in a God who can bring beauty out of hardship. You believe in a God who can redeem even the greatest mistakes. See, real biblical joy is knowing not what the future holds, but knowing that you know the person who holds the future. And that's just not like a good little Christian turn of a phrase. That is a very real biblical reality. And it's my hope today that for all of us, that we enter into this unique joy, not a joy in a more fulfilling tomorrow as we understand it, but a joy that is the fruit of the Spirit, that comes from Jesus, our faith in him, and knowing that he is working even when we don't necessarily see it. Because I love this idea. The wording matters, that your joy may be full. Jesus said it. John said it. I love that idea that your joy may be full. Whenever I think about the idea of God's joy being full, I always have the same picture in my mind. We experience it with our youngest child, Annabelle, who's nine. My daughter, Annabelle, if you've ever met her, man, you know. She's just a bright shining light. She's so fun. If you haven't met her, you're missing out. (laughs) But what's funny is is my daughter Annabelle does it now, but also all of our kids have done it. If you've ever raised kids, you've seen this. Now, as parents, when we go out to eat, especially if there's like sodas and stuff there, we don't really normally get our kids sodas, you know. We don't do it because we're necessarily like against it. We just know once they drink that sugar, we don't want to be around them either. (laughs) So normally we say no to like the sugary drink. But every once in a while, you know, we want to be cool parents. So every once in a while, we say yes. And so little Annabelle, get that little cup, you know, that when you go to the self-serve thing up there, all kids do this, right? You have your cup, you're going to get your soda. And your parents never let you have it. So what do you do? You put a little ice in it, right? And then you up there, then what do you do? And then you push it in. And you watch, 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 watch. When it gets almost filled, you stop. Why? Because you need the fizz to settle down. So you get a little more, and then you pop, 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 Right? Because you want to get all the soda you can get into the cup. But you know how it goes when you do like the second and third pop. What happens? It goes all over the place. And that's why there's that little trough underneath the self-serve soda thing. Because it's like a treat for all the employees later. It's like a mix of like soda. I don't think that really is. I just made that up just now for your enjoyment. But when mom and dad let you have a soda, you wouldn't normally drink that. And for those of you, of course, who don't like soda, it's like your favorite um, water. Right? It's, a, it's like you fill it up, but like you want all of it in. Now, even if they, you get free refills, you want that cup to be all the way full, right? That's the kind of joy that God wants us to have. He doesn't want us to have like a little spattering of joy, but the picture is a joy that is so profound that it's to the full. Like it says in Psalm 16, it says, God, in your presence is fullness of joy and at your right hand is pleasure forevermore. That's the type of joy that God has for us in the person and work of Jesus through his death and resurrection. Now, we have to ask yourself, is that the joy that you are experiencing right now? His joy in you, remaining with you. I realize for all of us, we can always catch if we're looking for joy in places that can't hold it because it's not that fullness of joy. But it's what God has for us. So it starts with, we're going to enter into unique joy. Now, if you continue on to 1 John chapter 2, verses 1 and 2, it's all on the same page here in my Bible. We get the second reason John wrote this letter, which also is very relevant for us. It says, my little children, this is 1 John chapter 2, verse 1. These things I write to you so that you may not sin. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous, and he himself is the propitiation for our sins, and not for ours only, but also for the whole world. What we learn here is one of the blessings of believing in Jesus, not only unique joy, but we get to experience grace-driven transformation. We get to experience a transformation that is driven by the grace of God. Why, he says, little children, these things I have written to you that you may not sin. Now, I realize that for some of you, you're like, man, we love Jesus. And then I know some of you, the only reason you're here is coming to church is a way to brunch with your family after. Now, if that's you, if you're like in Doran church, you know, like, let's, well, thanks for being here. We're gonna value your time. I didn't grow up going to church. When I would think about Jesus or I'd think about church before I ever went to church, I used to say to myself, what is God's problem? Why do we always have to talk about sin? Sin, 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 sin. And I used to always think about God the way he thought about sin. It reminded me of when I was in high school. Now, when I was in high school, there was a bunch of physical education teachers. And a bunch of these teachers all went and they got their administrative certificates and they all became assistant vice principals. Really, they were the disciplinary vice principals. So one of those guys was Mr. Popovich. And Mr. Popovich was like 6'5". He was like, you know, he was, a, he was a gym teacher, super stacked. You know what I mean? Like this is like totally ripped. But now he's wearing a suit and he's like standing in the hallway. And every time I would walk into the school, I'd see Mr. Popovich. And Mr. Popovich had his good eye on me. And he'd look at me and go like this. And I'd be like, why is Mr. Popovich giving me the stink eye? Well, listen, Mr. Popovich knew that I was a naughty dog. (laughs) Like he knew that I didn't know Jesus and I was just a crazy kid. And so uh, Mr. Popovich would get it. And and I always thought about like, Mr. Pop was like God. Just like, oh, I'm watching you. I see your sin. Now listen, Mr. Popovich, if you're watching this, I super respect you and I was naughty and you were right for keeping your good eye on me. (laughs) I don't want him to get upset. He's like, man, Flusco's talking about me. I'm on the TV. And my, my wife's like, hey, he's talking about you, Pop. Give it back to you. <laughs> anyway. But God is not like Mr. Popovich just trying to catch you, like the bell rings, you're like spotting into class, the door, oh, you're late. Let's go give you a party. No. God's not like that. God's idea of sin is not, He's just looking to bust you. What God's issue with sin is, is sin is the word that the Bible uses to talk about rebellion against God's plans. And the thing is, is my friends, sin is your enemy. Because when you walk in sin, you do not walk in the light, you do not walk in the presence of God, and you do not get to experience the life that God has for you. See, the reason God's word focuses on sin is because sin is our way of not only hurting others but hurting ourselves. And God loves us too much to want us to continue to hurt ourselves. And like any good parent the father's like look this is a problem. It's like when you have little kids when you have little kids you put all these locks on your cabinets. Why? Because you don't want them going under the sink where the draino is. You don't want them playing with that. You don't want your kids to find the nail polish. That's called graffiti decorations for the rest of time. You protect your kids from things that will harm them. And in the exact same way, the reason God speaks about sin so much is because God knows that if he doesn't tell us that it's painful, then we'll do it. And then when we do it, when we realize how painful it is, like, well, why didn't you tell me? And so God loves you too much to want you to hurt yourself. And the Bible calls that sin. And John says, listen, I've written these things that you may not sin. Because there is a life for us empowered by the Holy Spirit because of the death and resurrection of Jesus that is a life for us walking in the ways and purposes of God, That is transformation. When now we start to say, God, your will is more important than what I want. Because the Bible says that sin is pleasurable for a season, but afterwards it yields the unpeaceable fruits of unrighteousness. So really what you have is you have this reality that it's fun for a moment, but then you realize it's destructive. Not only to you and your relationships, but to others. What I always tell people is what we don't realize until way later is how sin hollows our soul out. How sin really does inward damage to us. And God's like, I love you too much to let you do that. So as we walk with Jesus, because of his death and resurrection, there's a transformation that happens. But God realizes that we don't get it always right. So look what he says here. Middle of verse 1. And if anyone sins, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ, the righteous. And he himself is the propitiation for our sins, not only ours, but also for the whole world. He's saying, look, this has been written so that you don't sin, so that you walk in this grace-driven transformation. But if you do sin, don't ever forget you have an advocate with the Father. And that word advocate literally means one who comes alongside to champion your cause. Now, what I love so much about Jesus, we have a tendency to think of advocacy today is I'm for this and I'm against this. But that's not the advocacy that Jesus gives. To use myself as an example, Jesus does not advocate for me to his father by saying, Father, you know Fusco, he's a good dude. I just like him. He doesn't do anything wrong. So Lord, you should accept him in heaven. That is not true. Jesus' advocacy to his father says, Father, you see Fusco. He's flawed. He's broken. He got a big mouth. He tries, except when he doesn't. He shouldn't go to heaven because he's perfect, but he should go to heaven because I was perfect. And he believed in me. And even though he is flawed, he is forgiven because of his faith in me. See, he's our advocate because he's the righteous one. And what's beautiful about it, Jesus is advocacy is based on him being the propitiation for our sins where if you don't realize what that means in the sacrificial system of the jewish culture there was the ark of the covenant that once a year on the day of atonement the high priest would go into the holy of holies and place blood on the cover of the ark of the covenant which was called the mercy seat and that's the exact same concept here where jesus himself at the cross is the mercy seat for us for our sins where his death paid the price that we all owe. And I love it. He's not only propitiation for our sins, but the sins of who? The The whole world. What this means is there is so much power in the cross and resurrection of Jesus that if every single human being in every generation, every culture, were to put their faith and trust in Jesus, there'd be enough saving power there to save everybody if people would just turn to him and receive it. And you and I get to walk in this transformation. I think about the Apostle Paul. Most of us know him because the Holy Spirit inspired him to pen about a third of our New Testament. But we often forget that Paul wasn't always such a great guy in the church, such a great pillar in the church. Actually, if you read the book of Acts, Saul of Tarshish, as he was formerly known, he made it his life's mission to destroy the church. He would go from town to town, finding the people who believed that Jesus was the Messiah, throw them in jail, imprison them, until God revealed himself to Paul on the road to Damascus. And what's amazing is the Apostle Paul, speaking about his own life and the transformation of his own life, said it this way in Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. He says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me, and the life that I live I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. See, the Apostle Paul sees in the crucifixion and resurrection of Jesus his own life. When Jesus died, I died with him. And the life that I live, it's because the resurrection of Jesus is at work in my own life. And my hope for each one of you today is that you see your life the exact same way not only with unique joy, but you also see that the old version of me outside of Jesus died with Jesus on the cross when God made Jesus, who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That you might see, listen, I died with Jesus on the cross and the resurrection power, the same power that rose Jesus from the dead is now at work in my life.
0: Jesus is... If you're like, oh, pretty much everybody in the world, you think about how your life could be better or worse. And if you've got things going kind of good right now, you're thankful. But if it's the other, you're wishing you could figure out how to get things on the up and up. The awesome thing about what Pastor Daniel taught today is that with Jesus in your life, it doesn't matter whether your circumstances are good or bad. Jesus can help you flourish in life either way. Thanks for listening to Pastor Daniel's teaching today. We hope you were around for the entire series, Beyond Belief, and that it's helped you understand the kingdom of God just a little bit more. This was a good reminder of the positive significance of Jesus' life, death, and resurrection, and how it can impact your life if you let it. The depth of living that you can do is available to you from the hand of God himself.